This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks. This week, uh, we're going to be looking at the world of Premier League and a little bit about Kale City at the end. It's been an incredible weekend, actually. And our three pundits today represent the highs and lows. We have Keshika Subarao. Hello, everyone. Great to have you. We have Arvin Sidhu, a very happy Arvin Sidhu. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's very good to be here. And we have a very sad Asran Rosain. Hi, guys. I'm happy to be here, but it wasn't such an incredible weekend for me, though, unfortunately. Well, let's start with that, Asran, shall we? The top match that we have to talk about, we're going to spend a bit of time on this. We're also going to talk in this in this section about Leicester Man City, but we won't spend too much time on them. <laughs> Liverpool 1, Leeds United 2. Asran, you're a Liverpool fan. What on earth is going on? Points-wise, Liverpool are now much closer to the bottom of the table than anywhere near the top. They're only four points above Leeds, and Leeds have been considered relegation candidates. Watching the match, I didn't feel like Liverpool really did anything wrong, but what did you see? Oh, I think it's typical of our season so far. Uh, mistakes have been compounded. The game, we started well. Uh, Liverpool started well. It was an open game. Fair play to Leeds as well. It was a nice game to watch for a neutral, not for a Liverpool fan, unfortunately, due to the results. Started well. Then Joe Gomez, literally, I think it was somewhat like an own goal. He did the right thing by robbing the ball off uh, Anderson, right? And then somehow thinking that there was no danger at all, passed it right across. It was a slow roller across the goal, right straight to Rodrigo, tapped it in. So when that goal went in, we thought, oh, that's it. That's the Forest game all over again. But then 10 minutes later, Liverpool did equalise through Salah. Salah hasn't scored that many goals this season. I think it's only his fourth goal, but okay. He looked sharp. Nunes looked sharp. So it was an opportunity to get back on winning terms. To be fair to Leeds, as I mentioned just now, it was an open game. Every time Leeds attacked, they looked like they were going to score as well. On the overall scheme of things, I thought Liverpool had what it needed to win the game. Uh, but again, typical of our season this season. In the last minute, uh, Leeds popped up and uh, scored winning goal through a birthday boy, I understand, right, Arvin? Yeah. It was his 20th birthday. Yeah. So all in all, I think it's typical of Liverpool's season. Losing against Forest the week before, winning comfortably in the Champions League in midweek, and then losing again at home uh, to Leeds on a late Saturday game. I think it was the first loss for Virgil van Dijk, but it was coming uh, by the rate we are playing this season. Having said that, I know that uh, we are nearer to the relegation uh, spots rather than the top of the table, but there's still 78 points to play. So there's still a lot more points to win. So uh, mm. let's see. Brave Liverpool fan there who managed to talk about a Liverpool loss without once mentioning the manager, Jurgen Klopp. So uh, Kashka, question I really want to ask you. You actually coach football. And, and I, I want to know, last season, Liverpool played every single match they could play. Uh, which was like 130 matches. I'm wondering, one, can tiredness carry over to a season? Two, Liverpool's game depends on the hard press and so much, well, speed and um, energy. If you lose just 5% of that, then Liverpool become well, just like any other team, don't they? I think that's part of what's going wrong uh, for Liverpool right now. They play such a high-intensity style of football, which is fine. In the first few seasons, they were able to maintain that consistently. But right now, with the list of injuries growing, they had multiple injuries before the season even started. And on top of that, they've not strengthened the squad. 
So every other team in the Premier League are strengthening their squad and Liverpool haven't done much in that aspect. So if you're a Liverpool player, you look around and you see that everybody else is adding to their squad, they're strengthening and you know that you're not going to be able to compete with that. That's already going to affect you mentally. And then you add the fact that the physical burnout is there as well. That slowly will get to a team. And on top of that, they aren't changing their style of play often. So they've been playing this hard press, high intensity game pretty much like 80-90% of the time that they've been with um, Jurgen Klopp. So if you are playing a team that you know you might adapt to a different style, maybe a less intense but more effective style to play, then it's more sustainable in the long run. But I don't think Liverpool have done that in the previous season and that could potentially be the reason why they're struggling right now because they're not able to sustain that anymore. So what you're saying is they need to get, on a temporary basis, uh, Sean Dyche in as a second half of the season coach. That's what I heard anyway. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Arvin, Arvin Sidhu, um, Leeds United were also there. And <laughs> I, mean, I thought they were good. They were good, but they weren't. I didn't know. Anyway, I mean, you know, Jesse Marsh is safe forever now or just for one more weekend? Uh, the background going into the game is there was a lot, a lot of pressure on him. It felt like a powder keg that was just going to explode with Jesse because the previous matches, he had four losses in a row. And having your ex-manager being chanted by fans in Marcelo Bielsa's name doesn't help. So he went into this game with a lot of pressure on him. But I have to credit Jesse much that he has never at one point seemed to have lost the plot. The players that played on that pitch that night Every single one of them, they fought for Jesse. They outran Liverpool and could point to what Jack Keshka was saying is that the Liverpool players physically might not be at where they, they are required to be. Brendan Aronson ran the most in the Premier League. There was 13 kilometres plus in a single game. Leeds outran Liverpool by about 11 kilometres. Hmm. Obviously, it's not just all about running. It's about effective running as well. And what I really liked about the game that Leeds showed against Liverpool was that in the previous couple of matches where it was just aimless running without end product. This was, there were serious threats at the Liverpool goal. Brendan Harrison hit the bar. Rodrigo had another chance later on as well. And then finally, the the, the, the birthday boy, Somerville, scores. So with Leeds, it's a very interesting thing. Jesse March, when you listen to his interviews, he's basically come on and said that we have deserved more points than where we're at. Unfortunately, we haven't got them. The points total that he has right now is just one point less than Marcelo Bielsa for last season. So he's not too far off from that. Uh, but he, he's got a squad who's behind him. He's got an ownership that's behind him. And I think that's very important. Once you lose that, that's when you potentially lose your job. But I thought there were a couple of really, really good outstanding performances from Leeds on the day. Like I, I've spoken about Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams is another one. The American players that come to the Premier League don't get as much credit as they used to, like the likes of Brian McBride and, and Finn Dempsey. But these two boys are, are the future of the American national team. So overall, good result for Leeds. Uh, the best performance of the season, in my view, besides when they played Arsenal and Chelsea. But what Jesse needs to do now is that Bournemouth this Saturday at home, he needs to build on that. Because if you don't build on that, it feels like a wasted opportunity. And I'm quite confident that he will. Mm-hmm. So uh, as Azran just said, rather patronizingly from a Liverpool fan, you know, enjoy your day in the sun. Hey, eh, Azran? <laughs> but again, having said that, I think the players are actually playing for Jesse Marsh. You could see uh, the final whistle. I think nearly every single player actually went to Jesse Marsh, gave him a hug. So I think it was a well-deserved win, I would say. And unfortunately, as much as it's difficult for me to say it, but yeah, good win. 
Good win. Still patronizing. You can't help it, can you? Oh, come on. You you were not there. Come on. All right. He tried. Hey, uh, Keshika, meanwhile, the noisy neighbors in uh, Manchester, Leicester nil, Manchester City won. Uh, No Harlan, but uh, no need. Uh, Played with the false nine. It wasn't wasn't an extraordinary display, but you've got this guy called De Bruyne. Uh, they, they, They can win one nil. The city will always have the quality. They they're up there for a reason. They didn't rely on Haaland before this. Haaland is a nice addition, but I'm pretty sure that they can still do well without him. But I think the thing that really stood out was the way Leicester played because they haven't been doing well recently. But I think in this match defensively they were amazing. That's why City really struggled because Leicester actually changed the way that the defense and the team shape compared to previous games because they were able to stay compact and force City wide. It doesn't do much, but at least you prevent them from taking shots in the middle. And I think City had only like five shots on target, which is not common for them. So I thought that a pretty big deal because Leicester was able to stay compact under so much pressure for the whole 90 and kept them to a 1-0 win. Yeah. See, when I when I watch football matches, it's just people running around kicking the ball. But 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 people like Keshika, I love it when you can actually see the structure, which is why I turn to you three. So uh, in a moment, though, we're going to go to the other big upset, Brighton 4, Chelsea 1, here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself and Azran and Arvin and Keshika. And now it was been a, some big upsets this weekend. And the, another big one, Brighton 4, Chelsea 1, the Graham Potter derby. Uh, <laughs> Azran, it was, you know, on the Friday show, we were we were really writing the obituary of Brighton. And Des in particular was saying they're going to take a big slide. They're going to be relegation candidates and it's the end. And then they beat Chelsea very convincingly. What did they do? I think they stuck to their game plan. Uh, they were convincing, convincing winners at the end. So that's why, again, not intentionally wanting to bring or relate this back to Liverpool, but a number of teams are actually struggling to get their game flow going, with the exception of probably City and Arsenal. The other teams have a bit of, they grow hot and they grow cold. In this particular game, Chelsea were far, I mean, we couldn't recognise Chelsea from the typical Chelsea that, that, that we normally watch. So Brighton were well-deserved winners. Yeah, perhaps uh, similar to Leicester, we sort of wrote the obituary on them pretty early. Uh, they look as if they are somewhat getting back uh, into the flow. And uh, again, based on the showing on Saturday, Brighton definitely won't get relegated this season. Uh, at least that's my opinion. Well, no, and they're eighth right now, uh, which is really quite remarkable. Arvin, Chelsea have discovered that the Premier League is much harder than the Champions League. Uh, or rather, Graham Potter has discovered. But also, Chelsea can't score. And Brighton can. Is this a Graham Potter problem? It was quite interesting because of the return of Graham Potter. We talked about it. He built such a super team at Brighton that even he couldn't seem to have beaten them on the day. He probably must be thinking of the legacy that he's left. Um, there was an incredible amount of intense and effective pressing. We talk about pressing all the time, but there's no point pressing teams if you're not being effective with it. And I thought Roberto De Zerbi's team in the first 45 minutes, they literally pressed Chelsea everywhere. Chelsea couldn't find a way out of it. And for Chelsea, for a team that's paid 70-odd million for Marco Corella, 
20 plus million for Grand Porter, they must feel like they were mugged literally by this because they, they went to the MX Stadium, a rocking MX Stadium, and they, they really got undone. Chelsea were much improved and, and they dominated the ball as the clock ticked on in their game. But besides the odd glimpse, they, they really struggled to get through that very stubborn defence in Brighton. And that's my concern with Chelsea is that the upfront, it just from the top of the days to now where Graham Potter is, and obviously Graham Potter, it's very new for him. He's still implementing his style, the identity of the team that he wants. It's been a solid start. This was only his first loss, but it's just not very fluid up front. Ryan Sterling was stale in attack. Conor Gallagher was their best player, but then Kai Havertz was in and out. And Aubameyang, they bought him from Barcelona. He doesn't start more than half the games. So Grand Potter has to figure that out. And he's going to have to figure it out by being given much more resources than he did in Brighton. We used to talk on this show that what would Grand Potter be like if he had given much more resources? Could he get a goal scorer in for Brighton? Now is that opportunity because he'll be backed by Chelsea. But it's an interesting piece because all the players that scored for Brighton have all improved tremendously under Graham Potter previously. So it, it was a really good game, this one. These were clashing with other games on, on, on the night on Saturday. Uh, watching it on Astro, I was glad that I picked this one to watch, to be honest. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo to Chelsea? That would be a that's striker. The, that's the one that I think would work for, for every party. It would work for Man United, it would work for Ronaldo, and it would work for Chelsea because obviously Todd Burley does want that marquee name, that superstar, and he around the world, he's not going to get the Kylian Mbappe, the Lewandowski, the Benzema. Cristiano Ronaldo is one that they could get. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go for him, to be honest. Yeah, I think it'd be good too. Hey, uh, Keshiga, Arsenal 5, Nottingham Forest nil. Arsenal are top of the table. They are beating the teams they should be beating, which is kind of what you're supposed to do, but they haven't done in the past. And I was trying to break it down as I was watching it. It seems to be, the key is, Skillful players who can run very fast. Is that Arteta ball? I think partially, um, because uh, there's a very interesting thing. Saka came through the academy, Arsenal Academy. Uh, Nelson came through the Arsenal Academy. But before both of them made it through the first team, everyone was actually focused on Nelson more than Saka. I think towards the end of the uh, development phase, Saka was much more rated as a better player than Nelson. So he moved into the first team. And Nelson was never quite proven as a striker. Then he went on loan. But then yesterday when he came on for Saka, you could see the speed, the skill. Could He could mm. match Saka. So I think that that's partially part of the, the team's way of playing. They really utilize the speed that they have. But I also think that from Arteta's end, previously he didn't have a, a creative sentiment. So they've adapted to playing wide and putting crosses into the box. And now that they do have a creative mid, they continue playing that style, but then they could also play through the mid. So that makes them really tough to play against. And I think the difference between them and teams like Man City is that they're more patient and they conserve energy. They don't relentlessly press for like throughout the whole time. They they do it at the right moments. They pick their moments, but when they do do it, they go all out. So all these factors and also being able to stay compact has contributed to the way that they're playing and their success in in this season. So do you think they're the real deal? I mean, deserved leaders and perhaps winners of the uh, league this season? I think so. Asran, Nottingham Forest were very bad. <laughs> um, uh, now, we don't normally get this kind of honesty on the Friday show because we've got, we've got Bob Holmes and we have to protect his feelings. But uh, Nottingham Forest are very bad. <laughs> 
Yeah, they were very bad. Uh, again, credit has to be shown to Arsenal, though. I mean, they were well drilled, well oiled, very nice to watch, very pleasing to watch. In fact, um, uh, five goals and Gabriel Jesus was part of nearly every single goal without getting himself on the score sheet. So it's a it's a bunch of interesting. I mean, there were lots of good, interesting interplay of Arsenal. You could see that they are quite a united squad because even when they scored the goal, they had uh, a bit of um, uh, dedication for one of their. Players who are on loan who was uh, unfortunately knifed in a stabbing at one of the malls in Milan, if I can recall. Mm. So mm. Uh, it was a United Arsenal squad, young, hungry, ambitious. They're playing well. The wheels seem to have fallen off when they were not doing as well in the Europa League, uh, having lost to PSV. We thought, oh, is this the Arsenal of old? But yeah, against Forest, they totally, totally deserve it. And Forest would have been void by their good win against Liverpool the previous week, but they were. Totally outplayed, outmatched, outran, uh, and uh, Dean Henderson couldn't couldn't do anything uh, against Arsenal because they really just, uh, probably they could have scored more than five. In fact, yeah, but you can't be fortunate enough to play Liverpool every week. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> Arvin. Meanwhile, once upon a time, Giants, Manchester United one, West Ham nil. United, they're turning something around, and they're fifth. Their fifth at the beginning of the season, it was it was an atrocious disaster, but something's going on. De Gea saved the day, though, with I think three excellent saves, and that that young man Marcus Rashford appears to be back. Uh, something good happening at United? Yeah, I believe the spine. There's an identity building from the base. That's what any good manager would do when you come to a club. You build from the back. And this is something that Eric Ten Hag has done. Yes, they're not free-flowing. Yes, they're not exciting. Yes, they're not smashing teams 5-0, 4-0 like the Arsenal's or Man City's. But he'll be telling his team in the in, in the dressing room that will come. That the, the lineup that they had, the 4-2-3-1, you look at the, the defense that they had. Obviously, Varane is injured, but Harry Maguire came in. And Harry Maguire did quite decent as well because Lisandro Martinez is an absolute gem of a positional type defender. He positions himself so well, he makes up for the fact of his lack of height and maybe lack of strength when it comes to dealing with more burly type centre-backs. Diego Dollar seems to have secured that right-back position. One Bissaka doesn't have a future in Man United, in my view. And then you've got Luke Shaw and Malasia kind of rotating when they need to. In the middle as well, Casimiro is important to them. Ericsson with such a gem of a cross that he mm. did. So overall, what I've really liked about Ten Hag is that they've not been spectacular, but they've been solid. And you ask any United fans in the last couple of years, would they have taken solid over long term instead of spectacular over short term? They would want that solid piece. So they're moving in the right direction. Definitely as a team to, to keep an eye, not just next season, but this season as well. Well, let's ask a United fan. Keshika, you at the beginning of the season, when it looked so bleak for Manchester United, you were saying, no, 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 let's be optimistic. You know, they, Ten Hag will turn it around. You must be feeling vindicated. And also, do you agree with uh, Arvin's analysis there? Yeah, I 100% agree with his analysis because I've always said that, you know, consistency is more important. So if you're playing spectacular one week and then getting smashed the next week, that's not really going to help your season because the way you win leagues and competitions is by being consistent week in, week out and getting that three points. And I think that's something that Ten Hag's been able to do. And I think another thing that he's been really good at doing is building a culture where all the players are buying into what he wants and are trusting him to carry out his vision. So he clearly came in knowing what he wanted to do. He came in with a plan and he's executing it part by part. And he's putting the players first 
over trying to please the fans by bringing in big name signings just for the sake of it. So I think he's done things very smartly and that's why we're seeing the results now. I, I was expecting more. I actually I football. It, I think it takes time when you look at what United have gone through the last couple of years. It takes time to put that into place. But Cam, we would remember Ten Hag as the manager that managed Cristiano Ronaldo. Not a lot of them have been able to do it in the early years. He's managed him absolutely amazing in terms of mm. Ronaldo in or Ronaldo out. I think he's been spot on all the way. Mm. Uh, and Asran, I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. West Ham United. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just I just don't know what to make of them. They're, um, I don't know. <laughs> they're 13th. They're not doing that great, but they're also not doing that badly. But what's happening there? Yeah, I, I, again, if you look at their performance, uh, away to United and away to Liverpool as well, they were, we can say, arguably they were unlucky not to get a point uh, from those, at least two points from those matches. They missed a penalty against Liverpool. They could have scored, but for De Gea's amazing series yesterday night. So again, in terms of performance, they are performing decent. They're performing well. They haven't gotten the results that perhaps they deserve. But I think it's similar to a number of teams, right smack, down the middle. If you look at the table, besides Arsenal and Man City, who are really winning every single game, whether they're playing well or not. Well, in actual fact, they're playing well <laughs> nearly every single week. Uh, the other teams are blowing hot and cold. Spurs were lucky. Well, we're, we're going to review Spurs sooner, I'm sure, after this. But Spurs loses a few games and wins um, even after going behind 2-0. Uh, Newcastle sometimes wins, sometimes lose. So there, there's a group of teams in the middle. Uh, there are competing against each other for the point. So it's not a clear three points. So not like before when there was a clear division of the top six against the the re- remaining 14 or the remaining 10 and the bottom three. Now it's quite an evened out league this time yeah, around. It, it is yeah, in, in, in the centre section. Well, let's in a moment, we're going to look at a, a team that's breaking that evenness up, which is um, Saudi Arabia's finest. <laughs> Newcastle United here on Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, Kashika Subarao, Arvin Sidhu and Azran Rosane. And now, Arvin, um, Newcastle 4, Aston Villa 0. I want to spend a bit of time on Newcastle because I've kind of ignored them a bit in the past, but we really have to take them seriously now. They are fourth. They have a lot of money. <laughs> and even without spending all of that money, they're, they're doing well. I, I, and I can't say I can really work out Eddie Howe ball, um, but something's going on there. Yeah, the smiles on Dyne's side keep growing wider and wider every week. What I'm really impressed about this Newcastle team is that there's so many different ways that they can hurt you. It's really the stuff of Jordy Dreams. When you think about the time when they were they had Kevin Keegan as the manager, Asprilla, Ginola, they'll all hurt you in so many different ways. Just look at the goals that they scored on the day itself. I mean, obviously the first one was a penalty, but then the second one was a nicely worked corner between Almiron and Kieran Trippier. The third was a counter-attack. And then the fourth one was Miguel Almiron curling the ball from outside the box. They really hurt you in a lot of different ways. And on top of that, they've got the best defence in the league. You put that together... I struggle to think of a manager who's done a better job in the Premier League in the last 10 months than Eddie Howe. Yes, we expect Pep Guardiola to do it. We expect Arteta to a certain extent to do it. Klopp has had challenges, but I think he'll come out of it. But other than that, there's no manager for me that's done as good as Eddie Howe. And the only loss that they had this season was a 90 plus 8th minute loss at Anfield. 
Other than that, Callum Wilson, two goals and assist. Surely Southgate smiling on that day itself at, at St. James's Park thinks I'm going to take him to Qatar. Joel Linton, a powerful display in the middle. Bruno Guimaraes, the array of passing that that player has and they want to sign him to a new contract. So overall, um, Newcastle are going great guns and I put them for top six at least this season. Yeah, and I think Callum Wilson is uh, is a very good uh, England style. Um, uh, you know, he just he just scores goals, and that's you know just put him up front. Hey, uh, Keshika. Um, so when I watch the match, it's a bit of a mystery to me. As I say, it's just people running around kicking a ball. <laughs> but what is Eddie Howe ball? I mean, is there a particular philosophy, or is he just working with with the players that he has at this particular moment? I think Eddie Howe has been good at utilizing the players that he have and using the strength of the players that he have. So previously when he was at Bournemouth, that's what he was doing all along. But I don't think that club was set up in a way that was going to give him success. But with Newcastle, they've not gone out and spent senselessly. They knew what they were doing from day one. They put together a team that has everything they need to win matches. And I think that they're taking it match by match. They're not looking at it as we're going to go in and win the title in the first season or challenge for the title. They're doing it slowly. And I think that's one of those things that Eddie Howe has been good at managing in terms of like looking at a league in the long term and getting the club up the table slowly. So I think that's right now, that's what he's probably doing. Up the table slowly. But Asran, do you think in two years' time, we're going to be talking about Newcastle United as uh, the dominant force in English football? Yeah, potentially. Uh, I think I echo what Arvin and uh, Keshka mentioned. Eddie Howe has done a fantastic job, given that he was out of a job for nearly close to two years, uh, but he hasn't lost any sharpness in him. Um, I think the way they're doing it, because obviously they needed to grow slowly in order for them to attract the best players, because they've got the resources to do so. But nobody is really looking forward to join Newcastle at this point of time, unless and until they provide some sort of platform of success. And one platform of success is by qualifying for Europe, in particular the Champions League. So if they are able to actually break into the top four this season, and it's possible, eh? as mm. we mentioned now, uh, besides City and Arsenal, who appear at this point of time to be locked in into the top four slots, the other two slots are a really battle which we will be fought between uh, Newcastle, United, Chelsea, Liverpool... Spurs, I think there are about six teams that are probably going to buy in for that final two Champions League slots. Oh, so if yeah, Liverpool's still going to be Champions League, uh, this, as mentioned, there's 78 points to play. There's still yeah. a lot to play, really cut in half by the World Cup. After the World Cup, a lot of teams, especially the bigger teams like uh, City and perhaps Arsenal, might have players having a bit of a hangover from the World Cup, especially if their team goes far ahead in the competition. So after that, let's see. And if Newcastle is able to break into that top four, uh, it's easier for them to attract the bigger players. Obviously, it will be very important for them to keep into the likes of Bruno Gomaraes, who looks as if already ready-made for a world-class sort of team. But Almiron, I think for the past couple of games, he's been really what makes them tick. So it's very different to Chelsea. Uh, I think, as mentioned by Arvind, now we don't know in those Chelsea who, where the goals are going to come from. Whereas Newcastle, it can come from various areas. Uh, even Trippier can bang in one or two through his set pieces. But Almiron, Joe Linton, 
Callum Wilson, every single one of them can score. And uh, yeah, they look as if a tough proposition. And if they qualify for the Champions League, we will talk about Newcastle in the in the way we talk about City uh, nowadays. That's what I believe. So it's yeah. up to them how they do this season. Yeah, but they, they don't excite me like uh, Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. That They were just, that was the funnest time. Hey, um, Arvin, uh, speaking of World Cup, two things. One is, I just looked through the prism of Crystal Palace 1, Southampton 0. <laughs> I... I um, it's eight days between the World Cup final and the restart of the Premier League, and yeah. I, I don't know which teams are going to benefit or or not from that. But the Daily Telegraph, back in I think 2013 or something, put a thing together whereby they predicted that England would win the World Cup with the lineup that they did, yeah, with with a particular lineup, and the only but it was like it was Sturridge, and it was with I, I mean, you know, like ooh, what have I happened? Well, only one is that Luke Shaw, yeah. Well, Luke Shaw and Wilf Zaha. Okay. Who, okay. All right. Who you know chose not to play for England in the end. Yeah. And uh, this Crystal Palace, I was watching. I was really impressed by them. Actually, it's only one nil, but they were relentless in the first half, and then they just shut it down in the second half. And yeah. I, I was really impressed. Yeah, one one touch football, pretty much, and getting into great spaces. That's what I thought they did really, really well. Uh, the first half, they were all over. Southampton, they had multiple chances. I mean, Luka Milovic had a, had a free kick. Zaha had a shot across the goal. No one finished it off. I think Eze had a shot from outside the box as well. Uh, and then to, to to have a disallowed goal for Edson Edward, but then to come back and for him to try that again, attacking down the left and scoring. And I was reading a stat, Edson Edward has only scored in London. That's for Crystal Palace. He scores all in the home games. And even away games, he only scores against London-based teams when they have derbies. <laughs> so maybe he's someone that you only play at home and when they go and play in other parts of London. So that's an interesting... That's, that's quite a niche player Very niche player. Yeah, but there are a couple of highlights in that Palace squad. Zaha, we've talked about for years. Mark Gwehi, for me, it would be criminal that he doesn't go to the World Cup, but I don't think he's going to. He's solid and strong at the back. Uh, Tyrek Mitchell is a good left-back as well. So yeah, uh, Vieira has been very resourceful in what he's done. Uh, he's obviously didn't get to keep Conor Gallagher. And I, now when I look at Conor Gallagher's development at Chelsea, I think he would have served him better to have another year at Palace. Yeah, because what ever yeah. happened to Conor Gallagher? Exactly. Yeah, he, he's in and out of the Chelsea squad, but he was a mainstay with Palace. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Palace should have won by bigger, but Southampton are pretty dire at this moment, to be honest. Well, speaking of which, Kashkar, I'm going to ask you the hardest question of the show. And uh, I've been saving this one up for you. I watched Southampton and I have no idea. Um, I think the manager, Hausenhuttle, says, I want you to go out there and run around a bit. I have no idea what Southampton is, what they do, who they are. What is Southampton? I think that's part of their problem. They seem to not have a, a plan of how they want to play. They don't have structure. If you contrast them with uh, Crystal Palace, I know we've just spoken about how they've created pressure, they managed to press but they've done that as a unit they kept the shape they are able to move up and down the pitch they transition as a unit and Southampton don't have that they weren't able to keep any shape they weren't organized they don't have an attacking plan it's more of leaving everything to chance like if we have a chance we'll, we'll take a shot but if you don't create a chance if you're not systematic about it if you're not trying to create those spaces if you want to attack down the wing you have to create the width if you're trying to attack down the middle, you need to create the space in the middle. So to me, watching Southampton, you don't see them trying any of those things. It's more like, okay, we're going to wait until they lose the ball, they make a mistake, then we're going to try to score from there. And that's not really a very um, solid approach to things. And yet they probably won't be relegated. They 
somehow managed to get away with it year after year. That's <laughs> run. Uh, Fulham nil, Everton nil. The scoreline actually covers up the fact it was a very good game. I thought Fulham were were good. And I don't know, how many chances does Mitrovic need? It, it, it is said of Mitrovic that he needs a lot of chances to score a goal. And maybe he's used up all his chances in this match. Maybe he'll start scoring again after that. Yeah, this was one of those nil-nils that were interesting to watch. Um, Fulham, as I think all of us would agree, probably has been the surprise of the season. Mm. Uh, they have done well for promoted side. Um, they continue to play, I think, decent football. Uh, unfortunately, uh, during the weekend, it was one of those days that Mitrovic simply couldn't score. Uh, I think in, in the other games, you could, you could see after a couple of chances, he would probably put in one or two. Uh, but I think how many how many shots on target did he have that that that, that game? Uh, I think there were at least uh, three uh, or four. Arvin, Arvin usually knows this kind of. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I read a stat. I read a stat that he had ten shots, but no goals at the end. From the ten, exactly ten shots, he, but he at least four on target. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so, so it's like it was one of those days that this you know nothing could happen for him. Another day, Fulham would have won that. Fair play to Everton, who has you know, slowly shot up their form. I think they were losing a couple of games on the bounce and finally, uh, after the win last weekend, they are probably looking to be back on track. Mm, yeah, whatever that track is. Uh, yeah, what is that track? What is, what's Everton's, I don't know, another team I don't understand. Um, they're more solid than last year. Connor Cody and Jim Tarkovsky give them a very good base. I always feel with Everton that they're so in-depth to Jordan Bigfoot he's at least giving them six to 10 points in the season. And in a relegation battle, that is priceless. Uh, but other than that, I Pickford was a man of the match, but I didn't see anything from Anthony Gordon since that whole talk of his big contract and him moving to Chelsea, he hasn't really shown up for Everton. I wonder if his, his head has kind of turned. Uh, Seamus Coleman had a really tough evening against William. And it's quite interesting when you see players in their twilight of their careers, you think of someone like William that's gone around and then come back to the Premier League. Mm. Would he do it for Fulham? But he's done it. He's got a good goal against Leeds. He really tormented Seamus Coleman. But other than that, Fulham will be happy. They stay undefeated with that at a home point. Everton will be happy they're away. Uh, Marco Silva would have liked to have gotten something over his old employers. But I think both teams will be happy with that one. Yeah, well, uh, Fulham, by the way, let's just <laughs> bears remembering. They're seventh. Yeah, they're exactly. seventh right now. They are three points ahead of Liverpool. And my analysis before we move on, I th- I feel when I'm watching Everton, it's set up in such a way that it just needs a Frank Lampard to come running in from the midfield and score a goal. But they don't have a Frank Lampard. <laughs> anyway, uh, we move on. And in a moment, we're going to be looking at Tottenham Hotspur here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on part four of Just for Kicks. And we're looking at now Keshika, Bournemouth two, Spurs three. Bournemouth went ahead with two goals. And they were looking like they were going to win this, trounce it. And then somehow Spurs came back on set pieces, which is not very Spursy. Spurs won, but it didn't look like a very good display for me. I think it wasn't because a team like Bournemouth should not be causing this much problems for Spurs, especially in the past few matches we've seen them perform quite consistently but I do think that it's quite interesting that they've scored from the set pieces because I think set pieces are something that you can rehearse in training and you can come up with a plan and if you can get that rehearsed to a point where it becomes like muscle memory second nature then those are like the easy points to collect easy goals to collect 
So I'll be pretty disappointed if Spurs didn't get their goals from those set pieces, provided that they didn't actually try to score from open play as well. So Antonio Conte is Italian for Sam Allardyce. Potentially. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's going on? Asran? Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, they won. Like I say, they won. But this was... I don't know. What was this display? Yeah, it was a, it was an unconvincing win. But at the end of the day, the three points what matters, even though the final goal came through a set piece in the, what, the 94th minute, uh, plus four in, in injury time. So, uh, Bournemouth, finally, look, they were at least sound for one point, at least, if not three, up until when they conceded due to, I would say, a, a lapse of concentration when uh, Sessegnon was about to be substituted, but he ghosted on the left wing and just um, converted one. So that was, I, I believe, a couple of minutes after Bournemouth scored their second. So that was unfortunate for Bournemouth. And after that, Bournemouth did try to defend. But yeah, the set pieces were the ones that um, unfortunately came to their, to their downfall. Uh, Spurs didn't look convincing. But yeah, at the end of the day, three points what matters. Is Antonio Conte <laughs> the, Sam, the Italian Sam Alders? I wouldn't think so. Again, in fact, if you are <laughs> reading in the Italian papers, apparently Juventus want Conte back. I'm not so sure how that will work. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's going to be a good game between uh, Spurs and Liverpool this weekend. Let's see uh, which Liverpool turns up and which Spurs turn up. Yeah, that could be that could be either very crazy funny or crazy, crazy amazing. Arvin, I'm going to give you a really hard one now. Uh, Brentford won, Wolverhampton Wanderers one, the only thing I've written down is Diego Costa. <laughs> because one, when I saw him on the pitch, I thought, Diego Costa, I had no idea he was there <laughs> still playing. <laughs> and I thought I shouldn't say that to anybody. And um, and of course, he gets himself a red card at the end for what was very clearly a headbutt. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was more to this game than just that. But uh, I don't know what... What was going on there? You had a scenario where you had Ben Mee scoring with an absolute beauty of a scissors kick from someone like Ben Mee for Brentford. That was an odd one, which I, mm. I don't expect that in any game from watching Ben Mee over the years. And then you got Diego Costa doing what we expect Diego Costa to do over the last few years. But it's really daft and it's really disappointing for someone who obviously they brought into the squad as a senior member to kind of guide that that junior top top end and be a backup or to kind of replace Raul Jimenez who's had some injury concerns. But it was such a daft thing to do to hit to hit Ben Mee in the way that he did. Bobby Madley was the, the referee that, that that officiated that game. And if you read a little bit about Bobby, Bobby Madley, he's been banned from, from officiating for a couple of years. He's only hmm. started coming back into League One and into the championship. And this was his first Premier League game, I think in three and a half years. But he didn't require any difficulty in sending off Diego Costa because that was a spot-on red card. And now the disappointing thing is Wolves won't have him for three games. And unless they appeal it and they get a reduction, which I don't see them happening, they're going to miss him for three games. So yeah, it's very disappointing, but very easy decision for Bobby Madley to do. Yeah, I mean, Keshka, have you had players who do something absolutely insane, like headbutts? I mean, just just go crazy. I mean, what do you say to them? What, What do you do? I think I've had situations like that happen before, but the first thing I try to do is ask them what was running through their head during the game, what triggered that action. Um, It's very rarely been justified. And then, uh, well, sometimes it is, but I still think that it's not okay to, to react in that manner. And then you deal with it in the aftermath of it and just ensure that it doesn't happen again. But it's one of those things that is incredibly difficult because certain times... Like one instance, 
they uh, one of the opponent player actually used um, a racial slur against this player. Mm-hmm. So that triggered him emotionally to react and got red card for that. Those type of things are a very gray area. Mm. But if it's just like a heat of the moment playing type of um, altercation, then that's hard to justify. Yeah. yeah, If I may add on, I think it's not so uncharacteristic of Diego Costa, the Diego no. Costa we no. know of. No? Yeah. Again, he's let the whole team down. The team is really struggling for goals. They got him in. But they've scored something like, what, six goals for in their 13 matches. They need him. Now they're going to lose him for the next couple of matches as well. So he's just let the whole team down. Uh, again, shame on him. Unfortunately, these are one, some of the actions in football that, you know, you just can't fathom or legislate for that. Yeah, yeah. I think hey, I, I think uh, what Keshika said to kind of go through their Costas, to go through the players' mind and what why they've done what they've done, which is great advice from Keshika. I think with Diego Costa, I think he himself doesn't know why he does what he does. Yeah. And what are you going to say to Diego Costa? I mean, he's done exactly. everything. He's not like some, some junior coming up through the ranks player. He's like, exactly. you know, Maradona's son-in-law. Um, <laughs> I can do what I want. Hey, uh, uh, Azran, as we come up to the end of the show, I just want to take a very quick trip uh, down memory lane. Uh, KL City, you're a fan, um, lost their match. Last time you were on the show, we were on the show together with Gigi. Uh, the defender at uh, KL City. You were there at the match. How how did it? How was how was it? Oh, the match was obviously the biggest night in KL history. You know, so we were there. Uh, the rain poured down on us as well, but it didn't dampen any of our spirits. Uh, I think uh, there was a good showing of uh, fans in the stadium. It was moved to uh, Bukit Jalil, by the way. Uh, it started off well. I think KL, in fact, had a good chance through Zafri. Uh, he couldn't convert it, unfortunately. Uh, again, we played toe-to-toe against Al-Sib, who are clearly a uh, different level of opponents. As you know, Al-Sib is similar to like JDT of Oman. Uh, they basically have nearly the whole Omani squad with them. Uh, and unfortunately, somehow we conceded uh, through a, a, a corner kick. You can tell that I, I would say all 11 of Al-Sib's players were probably as tall as our tallest player or taller than them. So for the corner kick, it was quite quite intelligent of them. What they did was they really flooded, I think, seven of the attackers on the goal line. And that created a bit of confusion for the KL players. So it went straight in from the corner kick. And from then on, I think KL's gameplay went out of the window because we know, I think as Gigi mentioned as well, the key about this sort of games against tougher, bigger, better opponent is to be composed, to be calm, wait for your moment. Uh, unfortunately, when when we conceded that early, uh, KL had to go out and attack. And yeah, obviously, Al-Sib showed their class and uh, mm-hmm. won 3-0. Nevertheless, yeah. it was a fantastic occasion. The players did us proud. Now we're still in the Malaysia Cup, uh, leading 3-0 against PDRM from the first leg. So who knows? There might be another cup run going. Uh, yeah, fair play. But it was such a great, great, great campaign to be part of. Uh, who, who would have thought KL would be playing in the AFC Cup finals? I think it was it was yeah a momentous occasion for every single one associated with uh, KL City football. Yeah, yeah, and uh, congratulations from from uh, BFM as well. I'm a little concerned because we had Azran, a fan, and Gigi, a player, on just before the match, and I'm a little bit worried that uh, the power of uh, just for kicks that we perhaps jinxed it by having you on too early. I'm going to look into that. So we'll see. Kashika, you um, you know some of the players, and so you must be thinking they they did well. Yeah, I thought they did really well. Um, I actually went to the game with my uh, first team and my under-16s players. I thought it was great for them to see a local team go this far in a cup and perform really well throughout the whole journey there. And I think that the fact that we're going to have an under-23 reserve league and then seeing things like this happening in your own city 
actually was a huge impact to to the younger players. Yeah, yeah. And uh, very briefly, then, Arvin has finished with you. Do you think we jinxed it? Is this how that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, it's a commentator's curse. That's what you've done, Cam. You kind of say something, and then the the opposite happens. So unfortunately, that's what's yeah. happened. Okay, yeah. so we. We're going to have to review that then. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll discuss that in-house afterwards. And uh, so if like Brazil get the World Cup final, we won't have any Brazilian players on before the match. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you very much to Keshika Zubarao. Thank you for having me. And Arvin Sidhu. Thanks. Always a pleasure. And Azran Rosane. Thank you very much. Hopefully next time we'll be with better results from the teams that I support. Thank you. Uh, Every word is about Liverpool from that man. <laughs> and uh, many thanks also to the producer for this week's show, Ali Johan. And so that's goodbye also from me, Cam Ruslan. Join us next time for Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9. Football tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.